Hi, I am Emily Hazard. And I'm Becca Anderson. And this is Grey's Anatomy Uncut, a podcast where we discuss and analyze episodes of Grey's Anatomy. Today we are talking about Season 3, Episode 17, Some Kind of Miracle, which is a song that was sung by Kelly Clarkson. Woo! (laughs) Original air date was February 22nd. 2007, written by Shonda Rhimes and Marty Noxon. Is that how you would say that? Sure. Marty Noxon actually is pretty notorious for writing for Buffy. Anyway. The Vampire Slayer? Yeah. No, the other Buffy. (laughs) Yes. Directed by Adam Arkin. He directed uh, season three, episode three, and... This one. This one. And that's it. So, interesting. Uh, another fun fact is that there, this episode had 27.39 million viewers, which is the highest number of viewers of all time, if you don't count the extra TV watchers uh, for the bomb episode because of the Super Bowl. So, if you don't count all those people that just left their TVs on because the Super Bowl ended and they just didn't turn them off, this is the highest viewed Grey's Anatomy episode of all time. Yeah. Which makes sense. Um, I don't have any follow-up because it's been forever. I don't even know what follow-up You know what? Be. How about this is the follow-up? How have you been? <laughs> it's been like a year since we podcasted. Do I even remember how to speak? Honestly, this is probably something that everyone agrees with, but I feel like not only with not podcasting, but also with the whole pandemic, you know, working from home, all this stuff, I feel like I have forgotten sometimes how to socialize with people. Like, you know, you go in a grocery store or something and someone's like, oh, hey. And I'm like, eh. <laughs> like I feel like my brain is just like, cannot compute. And that's the noise she makes. She just goes, <laughs> eh, and then runs away. That's the sound of my brain just dying. <laughs> that's the flat line of my brain. Yes. But you know, and so, so bear with us if... We have some issues t- communicating because we're out of practice. Also, I know what you're thinking. Will they continue to upload new episodes? I don't know. The world may never know. <laughs> that's part of our, um, I think that's part of our... Charm. Well, charm, but also part of... The experience. The experience of this podcast is that you never know. Could drop five episodes in one day. You'll never know. As soon as you think we're gone. We're back, baby. Like an STD. (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully a more enjoyable STD. I don't even know if there is an enjoyable STD. There is, and it's us. (laughs) All right, well, on that note. (laughs) All right. Let's get into it. So in the uh, Grey Matter blog, Shonda says that Mark Wilding is quote-unquote, the hammer. Which brings me back to when we tried to uh, come up with a name for... Who was it? Pehort? I think so. I think he was like the the something about like a dojo, like the the sensei or something like that. But I kind of like the hammer. I have a question for all of our um, viewers out there who are like myself. Who is Mark Mark Wilding? Well, he he does write for Grey's okay, Anatomy, so he's just another writer. But I guess. he's not a part of this. So why is this a great writer? <laughs> Hmm. Oh, you know who it was? I think Mark Wilding helped with the one of the earlier ones, like um, six, 15 or 16. Mm. It's been a hot minute, guys. Anyway, I just thought that I would uh, write that or just put that in there because he's the hammer. All right? So we got the sensei and the hammer. Anyway, okay. So oh, he was talking about all the different writers of the show. That's where you got the quote from. Okay. You got an opening statement? I do. 
Yeah, so... Whoa, that's not showing up on mine. Oh, hang on. It'll Do be, I have your Wi-Fi? It'll be a surprise. Literally, Becca moved since we last podcasted. <laughs> she now lives in a new place. <laughs> And in case you were wondering, yes, we do have a great in-depth podcast studio. Yep. It has no windows, so we can't see the time passing. All right, go it does, for it. It does have a door, though. Oh, you have the Wi-Fi? Apparently. So we finally get the final part of this three-episode story arc. And honestly, I think that the best thing that this episode does is with this amazing hospital limbo that we see Meredith in throughout. I love what they did with this. Mm-hmm. Um, with bring, like from bringing back old patients, the detail that like this limbo world kind of almost coincides with the real hospital world through some mm-hmm. of the like Izzy Denny, like little mm-hmm. pieces. Um, and you cannot l- not love the final scene between Alice and Meredith. Mm. Yeah. This is arguably, and I say arguably because I will argue, that it is one of the best episodes of Grey's Anatomy. And I also like this little touch that I kind of thought about is, I like how not only does this episode in some ways, you know, it ends the three-parter, but it also in some ways, I think, ends another part of this season, and then it's kind of this beginning point for a lot that happens in the remainder of season three. Mm -hmm. And so... I think they do a really good job of not only, like, kind of wrapping up the kind of three-part, that story arc that we've had in this three-parter, but then also beginning a lot of stuff that's going to come. Yeah. And you do it flawlessly, too. Like, you don't even notice it until you're doing a rewatch. Or until you're, like, five episodes from now and you're like, huh, hey, this character was brought up in this, like, this scene set this up. Or, Mm -hmm. you know, Jane Doe is still here. God damn it. Yeah. You think we hate Callie, just get ready. (laughs) Actually, like, I like Jane Doe more than Callie. In some ways. She gets annoying. Yes. Well, her face is so bad. She annoy- She annoys me more than Callie does, but sometimes I under- like I understand her character at some points better than mm-hmm. Callie. And she's Esme Cullen, which really throws me off later. <laughs> later in the, sh- in the show. She just comes back. It's a Spoiler alert. She comes back with a different face. Anyway. And a different husband. That's true. Well, she never had a... Whatever. Okay. <laughs> this is my child, Edward. <laughs> this is Carlisle. Um, yeah, so they stuck the landing. And you know what? Honestly, when I first watched this Meredith's Afterlife story, I wasn't so sure about it. And I think Grey's Anatomy actually made it work really well. Mm-hmm. The payoff between Ellis and Meredith <sighs> is reason enough to say that it worked really well. Because we've been setting that up since episode one of season one, and it delivers. Yeah, just to add on to Becca, too, um, there's a ton of stuff that is set up here. <laughs> there's drama coming. <laughs> no! Between... It wouldn't be Grey's Anatomy if yeah. there wasn't more drama. Uh, there's, like, some Izzy George Callie coming. There's a rift that goes all the way to the finale between Meredith and Derek. There's... Alex, Jane Doe, there's Mark Addison, Alex. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that they're setting up, and you don't really mm-hmm. notice it mm-hmm. until... Well, I think the cool part about this episode is, one, you know, obviously it sets up some of those things, you know, like Jane Doe, some of that stuff. But then it also, some of the storylines, like the Izzy George Callie, Mark Addison, Alex, it yet yeah, sets it up, but it's also, 
the middle because both of those storylines have been going on for episodes and so it's this weird episode where it's like oh, the ending but also the beginning and the middle it's ugh. they just do such a good job of in- interweaving these storylines yeah it's i fantastic. mean that's why they get paid the big bucks mm-hmm. but still it still blows my mind mm-hmm. all right so now we get the opening speech there are medical miracles being worshippers of the altar of science, we don't like to believe miracles exist, but they do. Things happen. We can't explain them. We can't control them, but they do happen. Miracles do happen in medicine. They happen every day. Just not always when we need them to happen. Hmm. I enjoyed it. That was good. Yeah. I like that one. Mm-hmm. I also like it because... I just like the whole, you know, like, obviously they're talking about miracles. So we're like, okay, miracles can exist. But then they do kind of leave it on a little bit of, like, miracles don't always happen when we need them to. And so, Mm -hmm. like, I mean, I feel like in some obvious ways as a fan, you're like, the show's called Grey's Anatomy. There's hundreds of seasons at this point. (laughs) Like, I I feel like if you didn't get the fact that Meredith was going to survive this we may might need to have a talk. Well, especially if you're watching this in 2021 for the first time. <laughs> she just comes back from the dead and is just ghost doctor. Yeah. She's first of all, Meredith Grey was effing born to die in this hospital and haunt it like a ghost. <laughs> she that's I'm convinced that's how they're gonna end this whole thing. She's just gonna die and then wake up in uh, this another weird afterlife thing and just be like, yes, <laughs> like. That character was literally created for that. For that, they're just gonna have an on-call room, and they're gonna be like, "Oh, I'm gonna go in this room." They're gonna be like, "Nope, that's Meredith Gray's room. Isn't she dead?" Yep, she haunts it with that's, Derek. That's where her don't ghost go lives. in there. Anyway, somehow, okay. So I looked up the definition of limbo, and somehow the definition that is best for this was on Urban Dictionary. Oh my god. They got it right? Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah, and it relates the most to Meredith's experience in the afterlife. So let me just read a little bit of this, because why not? Ooh. Also known as the rift plane, it is the plane of existence between the material plane, as in, like, life, everything you can feel, see, and hear, and the ethereal plane, ghosts. It is often said that limbo is where your souls go after death while waiting to be sent to heaven or hell. For a soul to pass from limbo into whichever part of the ethereal plane it is headed, it must first accept and understand that it has died. That's a key one. Limbo looks exactly the same as the material plane, exact copies changing at the same time. In the same way, souls and ghosts mm-hmm. inhabit limbo, mm-hmm. and humans and animals inhabit the material plane. So that's interesting. Although the dimensions are separate, they are said to be together as one. The inhabitants of each cannot see, hear, feel, or interact with each other in any way. Although some people claim to have seen or communicated with ghosts, there's no proof supporting it. Isn't that, like, weirdly spot on? Yeah, it is. It's interesting, too, because I feel like... I was trying to think of this as I was going through this episode as well, because I was trying to think of other shows, movies, etc., that kind of used this limbo piece. And not only used it, but used it this well. Plot twist... Maybe a minor plot spoiler alert, but 
Grey's Anatomy will try to use this kind of limbo thing in the future, and it will not work Ugh. as well. Um, and the only, but anyway, but the only other one that I could really think of that I thought kind of used it pretty well was Harry Potter. And this is the final, like in the the when, seventh book. When he sees Dumbledore. Yeah, and how basically how they kind of use that to explain a lot of. And that whole thing and, like, having the piece of, like, his soul. Mm-hmm. You know? But I couldn't think of any others. You know, I didn't actually try to think of any others, so not I that that was, I'll be able to help. Not that that was super important, but I just thought it was interesting of, like, not many, or at least not very widely known. Like, there's not very widely known instances of this kind of thing, at least that we can think of. Obviously, if you can think of a really good one, hit us up, let us know. But... Well, I just want to mention again, I know I say it all the time, but this is a freaking network television show. Like, this is not a multi-million dollar movie. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, like, the fact that they're even attempting this should be rewarded in it in and of itself. Yeah. And the fact that they like, freaking pulled it off is outstanding. I think the other crazy thing that I really thought of while viewing this episode is not only was this something that, like, Shonda thought of, but she had clearly thought about it back in, like, even season one. Because, one, all the patients that come back, we've already seen. And I feel like, obviously, there's a reason they're back. There's also probably a slight reason of that the, they could actually get the actors back. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's what I was going to say. But, I don't know. Like, none of them are kind of like, oh, why are they back? Like, I can think of a good reason for a lot of them. And so, like, I don't know. Just a lot of the pieces of it, you're like... She's kind of been setting this up for a... It's it's almost the same kind of reaction sometimes when you see all, like, when I saw, like, the full circle, like, J.K. Rowling did with Harry Potter mm. in some of those moments. And, like, Sean did the same freaking thing with this. And you're like, how the hell did she just create this whole thing? And she was like, done. I don't know. If I had to completely guess when she started getting an idea for this, I wouldn't have thought season one. I would have thought that it would have been very early on in the writing process for season three. Really? At the table read pitch for, we got renewed for a third season, this would be, like, the big middle of the season. Like, she knew that this was coming. Mm-hmm. I would have thought that, but I don't know if she had planned this that far in advance. Hmm. See, I was thinking, maybe not necessarily season one, but I was thinking maybe into season two. I don't know, just some of the pieces with, like, between, like, Meredith and Ellis, like, those pieces. Actually, now that you mention it, I think she did say in an interview once that she wanted to do this in season two, but it got pushed back to season three. Hmm. So you might be right. Anyway, so if we're continuing with this Dante Inferno reference, (laughs) does that mean that Denny, Dylan, Bonnie, and Liz are Meredith's Virgil, guiding her through the afterlife, and Meredith is Dante? Because in which case... I'm in love. I think basically, yeah. I think you're spot on with that. Okay. So now we get the first scene. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, really. The song uh, is called The Lake by Aqualung. Which killer band name, guys. I know. That's what Meredith needs right now. She needs an Aqualung. I also, I just want to point this out. The script that we have, literally, the script just goes, Meredith is, in bold, still dead. (laughs) (laughs) And... When I was obviously like, I've watched this episode a bunch. I watched this episode in prep for this. 
I read that and I just started laughing. Like, I was like, God damn, Meredith, she's still, like, on the table. When the chief is like, we're losing her and she has a flat line. <laughs> it's like, have you not already lost her? Anyway. Like, I'm confused. And the best part is, too, is, like, we've seen just a position of, like, there have been other ones where, like, the people just start flatlining. You know, they'll maybe do a couple compressions and they're like, yeah, time to death, whatever. Mm-hmm. And then Meredith, they're like, no, we're going to keep her alive for three entire episodes. <laughs> <laughs> Because she's gonna like start going into rigor, and they're gonna be so no, she's fine. <laughs> They'd be like, uh, "It's getting really hard to do these chest compressions because she's all rigored up." Chief's <laughs> like, "I think we're losing her." Everyone's like, "She's yeah. decomposing." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's going through putrefaction, dude. <laughs> be like, the smell is really starting to get to me. <laughs> They've all aged like 10 years. Like, why are we still here? <laughs> Nobody has cut their hair. It's just like a ton longer. Anyway, okay. So they're, basically what they're trying to do is they're trying to... And my dad says this too. He, he's he been in EMS for years and years. Uh, he, she's not dead until she's warm and dead. Yeah. So yeah, um, they're trying to warm her up. Yeah, and so they're basically trying to do... Anything and everything short of, like, performing, like, some God-given miracle to keep Meredith mm-hmm. alive. Um, I'm pretty sure Richard would, like, rip out someone's heart and give it to Meredith <laughs> at this point. Like, and it'd be like, um, actually, her heart was fine. That wasn't the problem. I don't care. Like, it'd be like some healthy patient. They'd be like, yeah, you're recovering from your surgery. And he'd be like, you're dead. We need your heart. <laughs> actually, her heart's fine, sir. No, it isn't. Shut up. We're gonna replace every single one of her organs. <laughs> every organ. She just wakes <laughs> so- up. She wakes up and she's like 15 other people. They've done like a face transplant. Hey, Derek. They're like, be like, whose face do you have? Guess. It started, guys. So, anyway, Addison gets a page and she says, you know, I have to go, I have to go. And then Bailey goes, just, they're waiting for you. So, whatever you choose to say will. And that really stuck with me because it was just like, just the fact that Addison left the room first puts a ton of weight on her shoulders. Yeah. Well, it also has this big imagery of, you know, Bailey Addison Chief being almost like the parent figures. And it's like, oh, what are we going to tell the children, like the interns? Well, no, but I th- it's also Derek is waiting right after. Yeah, there. I know. But you know what? I don't know. It kind of like yeah. had, I don't know. It had that image to me where like it's still like, you know, they're interns. They These guys are residents or... but it just it also brings up the point it's like that line wasn't necessary but the fact that they threw it in means that that was important to shonda anyway mm-hmm. can you read that sure so we have a little blurb from the gray matter blog and it says shonda's first part of a two-part episode it became a two-parter itself fairy hell one and two lol uh <laughs> the ones in which meredith goes into the water and dies i love how easily they all just go <laughs> meredith dies we're losing her <laughs> So Shonda suddenly had all this work to do, and it turned out that she had no iron in her blood. I'm sure she had some, but <laughs> not very much. We're just gonna... Yeah, so basically, the reason that we have a co-writer on this is because Shonda ended up needing to go to a doctor. But also, I guess the main thing that I wanted you to take away from that is that this was initially supposed to be a two-parter, so it was kind of supposed to be another, like, it was supposed to be the bomb 2.0 mm-hmm. a little bit. But then the first part of that two-parter got split into a two-parter. Yeah. Which I'm glad it did. Like, yeah. no regrets over Although that decision. To, to be fair, I kind of would have expected the second part to be split into a two-parter. 
Like, think about everything that happened in the first ep- the first two episodes of The Fairy Boat. A lot happened, Can you though. imagine if that was all... Yeah. Anyway. Okay. Um, and we kind of already answered this. Uh, but I did want to mention that this afterlife plotline was controversial what? in, in like, fans. Like... A lot of people don't like it. Oh, okay. I I didn't know if you meant, like, controversial just, like, for something at the time, but you meant amongst fans. Amongst fans, yeah. Interesting. I don't know. I I like the choice, and obviously I think we'll get into some of the, like, you know, pieces of it in some of the later scenes, but I don't I like it. I like what it does. I like what it gives this episode. I like that it's weird and it makes you uncomfortable, because that's the point. Mm-hmm. I think that there's a, a certain subset of TV audiences, especially, that just don't want to be uncomfortable they just want the same you know like to not really push themselves and just kind of like and if that's what you want great because there are many seasons of Grey's Anatomy that that are tailored right to you Mm -hmm. mostly all the ones after season five perfect for you but if you want something kind of weird and edgy and almost more artsy than like a network television show drama this is kind of the episode for you But I also, like, for those of you who might be on the fence on whether or not you like this, I want you to really think about everything we learn in this episode in this afterlife portion. I mean, obviously we learn a ton about Meredith, but like a bunch of the other characters and stuff. And then try to imagine, one, what this episode would be without all of that information. Like, we would lose so much. But then what I always thought the odd of was, how would they have successfully given us that same information without some of that afterlife piece. And I don't think, like, anything that I can think of, because, like, one of the big pieces, like, I'm thinking is, you know, the realization, especially from Meredith, that she gave up at one point. Mm, Yeah. So, like, if we didn't have her realizing that and them coming to tell her that and whatever, like, what would that moment be? Her just in the real world looking at someone being like, oh, I gave up. Like... That wouldn't be as effective to me. It would almost be like her in therapy. Yeah. And I, I, like, I don't know. I just, I think you really have to think about those moments and what would the alternative be? Well, and it also, this is something I hadn't really thought of. I'd never put it into words. But you can watch this whole episode thinking, this is just going on in Meredith's head. You could. Yeah. You could watch this whole episode and being like, this is Meredith talking to herself as if she is Denny. You can spend the whole episode saying that. And I think that's why that last scene was put in there. Mm. Because if you spent the whole episode being like, okay, this is just in her head, you know, this is just like her brain on drugs, then you watch that last scene and you're like, holy shit. It's like the cricket. Yeah. It's kind of like that uh, from season one, episode eight. It's like, oh my God, wait. Yeah. It flips everything. I think Taylor Swift said it best. Be new to us, but only in a way that we want. Reinvent yourself, but only in a way that we find both equally comforting and a challenge for you. Give us a narrative that we find interesting enough to entertain us, but not so crazy that it makes us uncomfortable. Hmm. Where is, may I ask, is that quote from? Uh, Miss Americana, the documentary. Okay. Where she was talking about how she had to keep reinventing herself to, yeah. s- to stay on top. Hmm. Interesting. But that, that kind of sums it up to, for me. Yeah. But. So now we get our first glimpse at the afterlife. I, for one, love the banter between Dylan and Denny. And honestly, it took me a good, like, till a good portion in this episode on this rewatch to remember that these two characters never actually met on the show. Mm-mm. Yeah. 
Dylan was already in chunks by the time that Denny came back, so yeah, uh, that made it tough. But, but amazing. The choice of having them not get along, it was clearly a cognitive choice. And I don't know, it's kind of fascinating to me because they didn't have to do that. It's like, from what we know about that one episode that Dylan was in, do you think he wouldn't have gotten along with Denny? I think more of the choice of them not getting along is more of kind of... A plot device? Yeah, and well, what I really see of this kind of afterlife is that this is this place, and the reason that these people are here is because these are the ones that are having trouble of letting go to something. Like, they're having problems fully moving into heaven, whatever, wherever the hell they're going. Okay. And so it's like in this limbo. So and I think I think the reason that they're arguing is because of differences. I think Denny fully grasps the fact that he's like, I haven't let go of Izzy, and like mm-hmm. I fully grasp that. I think Dylan is in denial of why he's there, and it kind of goes into that a little bit later. And so I think that's almost like they're using their arguments to show like a difference between like Dylan not accepting the fact that he's still in this limbo, or like why he can't move on, and Denny like fully accepting it, and but also not giving up on it. I totally see Denny. I totally see Bonnie, who I don't see as Liz because she seemed like she was ready to die when she died. Yeah, Liz was the tricky one for me of that whole thing, and I honestly think the reason they brought her back is because of her connection to Ellis Gray. Yeah, and she, but yeah, she was the one that I've I've and I still have issues with. Like, well, here's a thought. She said that the hospital was her home. Like, she never left, you know? She told Christina that. She was there all the time. This was her family or whatever. So maybe that's why. So maybe that's why. Maybe she just wants to be there. Yeah. Or maybe she, like, hasn't, like, in some ways, like, let go of her home. Of the hospital. Yeah. As opposed to a person. Yeah. yeah. Mm, interesting. Yeah. Okay. But anyway, um, so I find it utterly amazing that Meredith says, because if this was all in my head, the first person I'd want to see is, and then effing Doc shows up. Which is so spot on, because Doc represents Meredith and Derek's relationship. Mm-hmm. Ugh, love it. Meredith, this is not your brain on drugs. This is death. You are dead. Thank you, Dylan. Really freaking dead. Dirt nap dead. No more you dead. And then Denny's like, whoa, 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 way too harsh. I, this line, too, when Denny's just like, Meredith, you drowned in Elliot Bay. You remember that? And she just goes, yeah, that sucked. Yeah, that sucked. <laughs> and she's just like, "Get! I'm playing with my dog. Go away. And then Denny's like, oh, this is going to take a while. <laughs> well, and also, speaking of Doc, mm-hmm. Denny represented Addison and Derek's marriage like in season two. The Denny, death of yeah. Denny. Mm-hmm. And so, like, there's this weird, like, cryptic message of like rebirth that you can get through death i don't know but like if addison and derek's relationship marriage is guiding her back to life back to derek the only thing that i can think of is like in some symbolizations like a big death brings almost apart some kind of relationships like denny's death kind of signaled the end of addison and Derek, and you said at the beginning, you know, this episode is kind of a beginning of the rift between Meredith and Derek, and so is that supposed to be, like, Meredith's, you know, quote-unquote death? You see what I'm saying? Yeah, I know what you're saying. I don't know. There's just a lot there that can be interpreted in a hundred different ways, and I think that's kind of the beauty of it, is that there is no right answer. That's what keeps me watching this same episode 300 times. 
Anyway, so what does this say about Shonda Rhimes's beliefs about the afterlife? I mean, if you had to guess. I mean, this is fascinating to me. Yeah. I mean, I think obviously she believes in some sort of like an afterlife kind of thing because that's where theoretically all these people are trying to get to. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's it's a super interesting take on this kind of limbo. And it also, like, I don't know, it makes me really interested to be, like, if, I mean, obviously, like, if something like that exists, you know, like, who's around? Uh, like, you know, like, because there, right there are, like, moments where, you know, like, that limbo and this, like, they coincide. And so it's, like, do you ever have those feelings, like, if you have, like, a loved one or someone that dies and you all of a sudden, like, feel like you're, like, oh, like, they're with me or something, and you get something, and it's like, is that because they're in limbo? Like, walk, like is it, like, the, is he done anything? Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. It's just interesting to think about. Yeah. That is, I mean, it's fascinating. It has inspired so many different works of art. And this one, in, in, mm-hmm. in addition. So Addison comes out, and she talks to Derek, and Derek's a hot mess. And then she talks to the uh, interns. And she says, uh, you need to prepare yourself. And Christina goes, prepare ourselves. That's what they, that's what we tell the families before we call time of death. And then Izzy goes, she's going to be okay. And George says, sometimes you're wrong. Yes, that is true, but not about Kelly. She's not wrong about that one. You are, George. And then we get, this, this episode brings about a really fascinating personality trait of Christina, where Mm. we really almost see Christina shut down. And we've seen it before, but not to this extent. Yeah, nowhere clear i mean so obviously at the end of this scene christina just walks out and you're kind of like i don't know it it surprises me in some sense because she's this like very driven like very methodical i think the thing that i realize is that the the reason why christina can be very cut and dry is because she doesn't let herself feel anything for the people Mm-hmm. That she's cut and dry about but if she already feels something for a person and then mm-hmm that happens, she can't handle it. Yeah. So she just doesn't allow herself to feel. Mm-hmm. Whereas Izzy's the opposite, which is what I find interesting. Yeah. Because Izzy feels something, she cares more, and she can be there more. Mm-hmm. If she doesn't feel anything, then she doesn't want to be there. Yeah. And I was like, Izzy girl, cheers to that. That's the same way I am. Okay, yeah, so here we go. Another um, Grey Matter quote. It says, this wasn't a typical graze. Half of it takes place dot 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 where? In Meredith's head in heaven? We decided for obvious reasons not to get too specific. I mean, they're referring to religion, but whatever. And we knew Meredith had to go on a journey. And Denny and Dylan, I'm supposed to touch the sacredness of Denny and Dylan? I think not. Except you did, so I don't know why. Back in the afterlife, and we get kind of the reveal that Liz Fallon and Bonnie are also there. I remember watching this the first time. Now, granted, I was nine. But I remember being so effing creepy how they could just, like, defy the laws of physics and just appear and disappear. Yeah. And the hospital looks familiar and it kind of draws you in, but it's just different enough that it also makes you uncomfortable. Yeah. the li- I was going to say, I liked the lighting kind of choice where, mm-hmm. again, you said, like, it's just a little bit where, it, like, it makes you that just a hint of, like, uncomfortable. Because that familiarity kind of just draws you in. It's like, oh, we're just in the hospital, but th- you're not. It's wrong. You're not just in the hospital. Yeah, there's something wrong. Mm-hmm. I would also like to point out that Meredith says that Liz Valen died of liver cancer. That is wrong. Yeah, that is wrong. And that's, uh, 
that's really bad. She died of pain- pancreatic cancer. Mm-hmm. So, ooh, theory. The, the one mistake that they yeah make one change now. Okay. Theory. Oh, oh, maybe. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Hmm. Theory, guys. It's part of the theory. make one change one th- or uh, theory. I think we're gonna go with theory. I'm gonna pour that in the theory bucket. It's getting fuller, guys. Fuller mm-hmm. and fuller every day. Every year that we procrastinate on this. <laughs> <laughs> so then Bonnie just like effing appears out of nowhere. And Meredith is like, Bonnie, she remembers me. You remember. And then Liz Fallon says, you were a very important patient for her. Um, and Meredith asks, is this, Bonnie goes, it's not heaven. We're here because you called us here. I didn't. Did I? Tell us about the water, Meredith. And I love that line. Because mm-hmm. it's like, it's more than just water. You know? Yeah. Mm. Well, and we've had a lot of instances with, like, water in this whole... Season. season. Yeah, it's been a kind of recurring theme. And so, I don't know. It, uh, I mean, obviously, we could just get more and more meaning with this episode and the whole water thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I love how Meredith called them there. You know what I mean? Yeah, in some sense. But she didn't. Yeah. Ugh. But also begs the question, like, where were they before? Take all my goddamn money. Take it all. Because, like, Denny was clearly kind of there before because he, like, said that he, like, whatever. Do you want to do this at the end? Yeah. Let's make a note of this because I have things to say, but let's keep going. Um, yeah, so then we move on into Jane Doe's room where she's flipping out and Addison's being like, you need oxygen. And Jane's like, no. And you're like, you kind of do Jane Doe. But (laughs) just talk to my husband. She looks at Alex and Addison. I love how she just goes, this is Dr. Karev. He's my intern. (laughs) We're not laughing at a severely traumatized woman that has a melted candle for a face, but we are. Mm -hmm. Um, And basically we get the reveal that, you know, Jane Doe doesn't remember anything about her including her name which is why she remains jane doe for this entire episode Mm -hmm. we get this kind of endearing brother sister moment about meredith (sighs) and i kind of like how alex just says it to addison because i feel like some people would have been like oh this is awkward because you probably hate meredith but Mm -hmm. addison just goes you want to be with your friends and alex just goes it's just meredith always makes me think i don't know screwed up people have a chance Mm -hmm. well i think it's cool like how it kind of shows different ways that people, like, cope and stuff. Like, obviously, like, Derek is a hot mess, crying, whatever. Mm-hmm. Izzy and George are still just there outside of her room, like, waiting. As they would be, yeah. Christina had to flat out leave, and we'll see where she went later. Mm-hmm. Alex is like, I I just need to work, you know? And so it's, like, it's different coping kind of mechanisms, which I think is cool, because obviously, like, everyone co- copes in different ways. Yeah. And- I don't know. It's a it's a good way to like have kind of showing each of the different interns' personalities. Yeah, I like that. But also, I just want to say, in your fucking face, Meredith. So then we have this interesting moment where Izzy just kind of busts into the room. She's clearly not ready to see what she sees because I I guarantee she didn't think Meredith was as bad off as she is. Well, and I think even if you do like, even if you're like, oh, like you know, she knew all the medical stuff. I feel like, but like. Are you ever really prepared to see, like, one of your best friends in that kind of a condition? I don't think so. Especially when your fiancé just died mere months ago. Yeah. Probably not. So basically, she brings the news that Christina just left. <laughs> and I just love Burke. She left in the middle of her shift. Where'd she go? And then the immediate cut. 
to Christina in the dollar store looking like a straight up zombie yeah. and just picking up things. And throwing it in the car without even looking. I, I died. Like, in such a serious episode. It's a very emotional episode. When that happened, I died. I was like, perfect. We needed this. Yeah, and they said that they had a hard time writing funny scenes in a episode that was so dark but they they pulled it off because this is dark humor and it works it's fantastic well again it, it's a different kind of grieving coping mechanism mm-hmm. i mean that's yeah you could spin it as that yeah yeah which but, i i don't think it's much of a spin but i also think they wanted some humor yeah it's like it's it's, a, yeah. it's two for yeah two for one again i just want to say this meredith goddamn gray was born to be a ghost oh, that hunts gosh. that haunts seattle um, grace Basically, I guess the purpose of this whole afterlife thing is is Denny and really Dylan, um, I guess Bonnie's, all of them are kind of really pushing Meredith to realize something. And I think I realized it kind of early on in this episode of what they're trying to push for her, you know, and, you know, Denny says here, all right, there's no time for that. You don't have any time left. Like, you have to listen to us. And then, you know, Meredith says, I drowned. That's all I drowned. And they're all like, um, but why? You know, but why did you and drown? so there's yeah. like none of them straight out say exactly what they're trying to get married to admit, but we as the audience all realize it. I think. And is kind it because they're not supposed to? That's a good question too. Or is it you know just for TV factor? Well, I think in some ways, I think Meredith has to realize it for herself because like how else do you really cope with something like because too if if Danny just went out and looked at her and was like no Meredith you didn't she'd be like no I like I like you know what I mean like mm-hmm. I think it's something that she has to realize for herself to fully grasp it and to fully come back from it. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, so then Bonnie just starts bleeding out of nowhere. Did you just call her Bunny? No, I called her Bonnie. <laughs> Can we call her Bunny? <laughs> no. And I love how Meredith just starts freaking out, and the rest of them are just like, Bonnie. <laughs> You're like, this dumb bitch. <laughs> Stop bleeding. Like, they're just so pissed <laughs> off with her, and it's really funny. <laughs> and is it when she gets upset that she starts bleeding? Or I feel like that might be it. Partially, I think it's also supposed to, in some ways, be, like, Meredith is trying so hard to save everyone around her, but not herself. Like, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. Okay, here's even, a thought I had. Even in this moment where it's her limbo, like, they're trying to get her to realize this thing and to, quote-unquote, save herself, she's not even concerned about herself. She's concerned about someone else. Well, she's concerned about Doc right now. but well, And Bonnie. He, well, but not yet. But here's the thing. When Bonnie's emotions match her emotions when she died, is that when she starts bleeding again? Huh, maybe. Because, the only reason I say this is because when Meredith's emotions finally matched her emotions when she died, that's when the water appeared. Not the panic, but like the self-loathing almost. Yeah, and like like the the, reason she's giving up. The loneliness and sadness. Interesting, interesting thought. So maybe Bonnie was like, pissed off that she got the short end of the stick pun not attended um oh my God. <laughs> she was literally skewered <laughs> anyway uh but also what is the symbolism of, of meredith wanting to save bonnie when she already knows she's dead because part of me thinks is this meredith never forgetting forgiving herself for not saving bonnie because or is this meredith being like well, if I can save her in this weird, like, afterlife, that proves mm-hmm. that I'm not dead. Yeah. I don't well, know. I, I think, too, like, for this, I especially flashed back to 
Bonnie's death scene in 206. Mm -hmm. And just remembering, like, everyone else was kind of like, whatever. You know, like, they just kind of basically let her die. And Meredith was the one that was like, we need to save her. And, like, there was that whole moment. And so I almost wonder, yeah, like, if there is some sort of guilt that Meredith couldn't do anything. Or, like, you know, it it brings up a lot of those same feelings from 206. Mm Mm-hmm. And Bonnie was a representation of Meredith in 206, which mm-hmm. is interesting. Yeah, which I think is also a piece of why it happens only to Bonnie, basically. Mm-hmm. How did you like the use of the bell in the afterlife? I don't know if it was a bell. It was more like a dong. Yeah. To be honest, I didn't really notice it super, super much. Made me wonder if it had something to do with time. Like it was a hmm. chime or something? Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. So now we have Christina at Joe's bar in the middle of the day. And I always love when they show Joe's bar in the day. It's like seeing a vampire yeah. in sunlight. Yeah. So after seeing Bonnie die again, we had to go to some funny stuff. Mm-hmm. So I just love it. Christina is showing all of her, all of her possessions that she has now bought at the dollar store to Joe. <laughs> Joe is like, what the hell is wrong with this? I thought, and then she whips out this tiny chair and she's obsessed with this tiny chair. <laughs> I love this. It's small. It's a um, tiny size. It has uh, cat-like creatures on it, but it is a chair. For 99 cents, you can buy a chair. That's America, man. And then Joe says, that's Taiwan, man. <laughs> I just So shut up and look at all my crap. I love how she goes, so shut up and look at all my crap. <laughs> Great moment. Clearly, Christina's having some issues. That's why she's buying children's now, chairs. Was the last time we actually saw Joe when when Joe was taking care of Addison when she was drunk and so. eating all poor, the muffins? Poor Joe. Joe has has done some No, it might have been the hiking. Oh, it definitely was. But like the last time we saw him in the bar. I can't remember. No, they were in the bar when the train happened. The train? The train crowd. Oh, that was two. Yeah, that was two oh six. Alright. The um, the muffin thing was three oh two. I'm trying to think. I can't remember. Yeah, I don't. To be honest. Not that it matters. Poor Joe. He he has to put up with so much shit from these doctors. Mm-hmm. He, honestly, the fact that he even went to that hospital for not only his own procedure, but, like, when his husband, like, or mm-hmm. what's his, are they married? They're or not married. Just, okay. This is actually 2006, so they, can, her, they can't be. Whatever. When her, his boyfriend, like, like, honestly, if these doctors were coming in and having all of these things in front of me, I'd be like... That's great. I am never going to this hospital. You're like, like, I might get an STD just from sitting on a bed. Like, these people, bad shit crazy. Yeah, exactly. Um, Incompetent. Anyway. So now we have this scene where, for some ungodly reason, we had to bring Callie into this episode. No, we were doing great. (sighs) Until we, whatever. And Bailey's like, Callie, I'm putting you in charge of your interns. And And the only two interns left are George and Izzy. And there's no way this could end badly. (laughs) <laughs> based on last episode. Bailey just doesn't give a shit. She's like, what? Just take them. I don't, I'm busy. Izzy refuses to go with Callie, which, you know what, girl? I get it. I wouldn't want to go with her either. And Callie gets up on her thing. We can't help Meredith. All we can do is, like, we. Okay, use your voice. We. And you're like, first off, Callie, you're not in this. Get out. Like, also, didn't you try to beat up Meredith, like, just a little bit ago in this season? Like, you don't like her. Why? Why? Whatever. And she says we. And it's just, oh, oh, Callie. Oh, sweetheart. You done goofed. Because you are not intern OTP. And you never will be. 
I, I just wanted to mention, I really kind of like how they only had uh, so much time in this episode, but they went ahead and they had Alex, multiple Alex scenes being broken up over Meredith. And I, I just appreciate it. It kind of makes me flash back to that Thanksgiving episode. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I love, I love the Alex Meredith relationship. I feel like we on this podcast don't talk about her a lot because obviously she has a lot more moments with like Christina, Izzy, even mm-hmm. George. But I love that kind of brother sister relationship. It's also kind of like that relationship where like, you know, they don't necessarily talk or like, oh my God, we're going to talk every day. But it's mm-hmm. that type where I haven't talked to you in like a month, but still like you're my best friend. Like, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. you come back together and you're like, yeah, we're cool. And they have a lot of similar like you know, how they deal with things. Like, you know, they're, they're kind of like the screwed up siblings. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I would great. venture even to say that there are things that she can tell Alex that she probably can't tell Christina. Okay, so now you're ready to dress down Callie. Because it's coming. <sighs> yes. So, Callie takes it upon herself to be, I don't know, like... A busy's ass? Oh. Yeah, kind of. But also, like, she she's suddenly the cheerleader for Meredith now that Meredith's dying. Which makes me wonder, is this part, like... Oh, I was kind of a bitch to her, and now she's dying, and so that's kind of awkward. Yeah. Well, it's also kind of awkward because she's like, yeah, I was a bitch to Meredith, and Meredith, yeah, she destroyed George, kind of, but she's also, like, let him live there and, like, done a bunch mm-hmm. of other stuff, and so you're like, yeah, I should probably be nice to one of my husband's friends. I mean, I mean, I know it's a concept for Callie, being nice to people, but yeah, anyway. truly questionable. So she's trying to, like, comfort Izzy, and Izzy is not having it. I love this. Can we do this dialogue? Sure. I will be Izzy. Okay. She's been down a long time, but, but you know, she's strong. We shouldn't give up. Wasn't planning on it, but thanks. Okay, is this stress-related, or am I doing something specific to piss you off? Because believe me, we need to pull together. Not we. What? You keep going on about how we need to do this for Meredith and how strong Meredith is like you know her. I do know her. No. George, Christina, and me, we know her. We're her family. We were there long before you and George started fooling around. Hey, he is my husband. <laughs> Stop saying that. Like it, wrong hand. Yeah, she. Becca just held up her hand to show off a ring. That I don't have. That she doesn't have, and it was the wrong hand. <laughs> Stop saying that like it means something. It is a piece of paper. You act like it gives you history or weight. Enough. Enough. I will not be run off. I am here... George wants me here. And if you can accept that, that I love him too, then maybe we could be, I don't know, friends. Or you can keep on the way you are and be that person that George used to know. You don't get to decide that. George decides. Oh, I know what he'll decide. And if I were you, I would think about it long and hard because you cannot afford to lose another friend. Not when people around you keep... Keep dropping like flies? Is that what you were about to say? Which, yeah, probably... First thing I want to say is when Izzy says, like, stop saying it like it means something, it's a piece of paper. I honestly, like, is Izzy being more than a little bitchy in this scene? Yes. Oh, yeah. Mm. Do I have problems with some of the things Izzy says? Yes. But that being said, when Izzy says, you know, it is a piece of paper, you act like it gives it you history or weight. I feel like something this is this is actually something Callie needs to hear because two things. One... What they had was a wedding. It's not a marriage. Two, Callie keeps using her marriage with George to act as though that is the key that brought her into their friend group. Mm -hmm. And, like, Izzy's saying here, like, 
yeah, you can be married to someone in the friend group, but just like that fact and you just showing up with them does not mean that you're like, you know, part of the family. I think Callie could be part of the family if she actually tried, which she has not. Mm-hmm. And that's a side note. But like, I don't know. In all that, like, I honestly think that's Callie needs something that to hear because Again, realistically, she's like, oh, I'm their friend or whatever. And I'm like, but you, have you actually tried to get along with any of her friends? Like, has she tried to communicate? I mean, obviously, like, Izzy's another story. But, like, but with, like, with Meredith, with... Yeah, I don't. And, you know, you'll have some hardcore Callie fans being like, well, they never gave her a chance. Or being like, well, Izzy's, Izzy's such a bitch to her. Which, of course she is. And that's why I love her. But I'm also not talking about Izzy. I'm talking about, like, has she even ever tried with, like, Meredith? I feel like she did, like when she helped with Doc. You mean when she beat up, tried to beat up <laughs> Meredith in the locker room? One of my favorite moments. Like, I'm sorry. It's true. I'm sorry. You're friends with Meredith, even though you tried to punch her out? <laughs> I mean, oh, we want to punch okay. Meredith sometimes, but like, come on, girl. In a lovable way. I mean, is Ka- is Izzy a bitch? Yes. Does that make me love her more? Also, yes. Did Kelly deserve this? Yes. And it's a hill that I will die on. Uh, every podcast needs a villain, and in this case, it's us, because we hate Callie. The other thing that I think is hard is, like, Callie's trying to act like a kind of a friend to Izzy in this situation, when one, they're not friends. Like, it's also, like, not the time. You know what I mean? And so I'm like, I, yes, Izzy went over the line, Izzy said a lot of stuff, but I'm also like, like, some of the stuff that Callie was saying, I was like, girl, come on, like, just stop. Well, and it comes off as disingenuous because it to Izzy, like if you were in Izzy's shoes, it comes off as Callie kind of using this trauma to try to get in better with Izzy. Yes. And that is just not, Izzy's not interested in that at all. Mm-hmm. It's like, Callie, read the audience, you know, like, like kind of read your room here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we cut back to Meredith, uh afterlife and she goes so you all just disappear at will which is a beautiful lampshade because <laughs> they're just like uh we need that for the plot so yes yeah. i also just love how bonnie just comes back she's like hey guys <laughs> <laughs> so i'm meredith <clears throat> i drowned that's it really then why are we here again i can't do this if you're gonna keep saying that you drown do you have any idea how much that hurts You know, when you came into the ER, you were so brave, so strong. I was in shock, and you guys doped me up. You know, in retrospect, what happened to me really sucked. I was young and beautiful and in love. I was getting married in four months, and then I was dying. And here you are, all happy and perky to be dead. You think I want to be here? I swam. I fought hard. The water was cold. Denny, all right, but what about that thing in the tub? What was that? It wasn't anything. It was... You see me in the tub? No, I do not see women in the bathtub. I wish I saw women... We know things. And then Liz goes, uh, you had to think about it. No daughter of Ellis Gray could. This is so not an Ellis Gray thing. Ah, it's a Derek thing. I would never. And then Bonnie goes, you would. I know crappy things have happened to you, but how can you be a surgeon and have so little respect for life? How... And then she starts bleeding. Oh, come on. Like, oh, god damn it. Like, damn it. It's again. Um, <laughs> my period is coming through Michael. Again, bring up so many things. I love how they brought back the bathtub thing from the beginning mm-hmm. of 315. Mm-hmm. I also love that, like, no daughter of Ellis Gray could. What does that mean? 
Mm-hmm. Like, does that mean that, like, Ellis Gray is so egotistical that she could never commit suicide? No, it's, you had to think about it. No daughter of Ellis Gray. Is she saying that because Ellis Gray tried to commit suicide? Like, it's... Yes, but we don't know that yet. I know. But that's, I think that's what the comparison is drawing. Oh, shit. I, I understand that now. Oh, like, like, you had to have thought about it as it was happening because you watched your mom try to kill herself? Well, and suicidal tendencies and, like, depression stuff is some, is, there's a genetic component. Oh, so, oh, damn. Hot damn. I've never made that connection. That was the first thing I thought of when I saw that, heard that line. This is so not an Ellis Gray thing. And then Denny says, oh, it's a Derek thing. And then she goes, I would never. Does that mean she would never leave Derek like that? Is that what she's saying? Yeah, or, like, give up on Derek like that or something. I don't know. Like, she wouldn't do that to Derek? She wouldn't, like, give up? Like, I would never hurt Derek like that? We have so many questions! Shauna, come on the podcast. Also, Ellen Pompeo, come on the podcast. We love you. So then we have a really great Derek scene, which... But Patrick Dempsey kills this. Yeah. He does a great job of being this torn-apart Derek in this in this entire three-parter, to be honest. Honestly, this is kind of the Derek that he plays the best, is this heartbroken puppy dog Derek. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love this scene... Because I really, I feel like it humanizes Derek for the audience. Like, we, we've seen a lot of other characters, like, especially the interns. Obviously, you know, they're the, the focal point of the show. And they're kind of outside lives. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know. I think this is, like, a new kind of moment for Derek. I don't know. It's cool. I like it's it. It's also nice because I think it helps the viewer slow down a little bit as well. Because... This this episode has been bam, 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 scene after scene. And this is kind of almost like allowing us to breathe a little bit. Mm-hmm. And it also is allowing Derek to breathe a little bit. And, and he's finally accepting that, like, okay, I have to just sit in the waiting room. I have to just be the boyfriend. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and, and in some ways, he can't be, quote unquote, her knight in shining armor. He has to sit there and wait. Mm-hmm. I love that. Love you that. know, he can't go in and... and you know, sweep her out, like, and save her. He has to let all these other people save her. Like, he Mm -hmm. can't do anything at this point. He can't be the knight in shining whatever. So the man asks him what her name is Mm -hmm. in the way that he says Meredith. I swear he says it like it's a prayer. Patrick Dempsey, can I just have a recording of you saying my name like this that I'm just going to use for my ringtone or something? I don't know. (laughs) Becca. You don't do it right. So we go back to the afterlife. And I like how they kind of kept, like, it was, like, afterlife, real life. Afterlife. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I like that, like, combination. Mm-hmm. Or, like, flip-flopping. Bonnie's just bleeding out again. <laughs> does it hurt, I wonder? Like, is I she... think it does. Oh, that sucks. She just, like, feels the pull. Oh! <laughs> She's, like, scared again. <laughs> she just keeps getting skewered. <laughs> God damn it. Not again. Oh, I love it. All right. Um, and so, obviously, like, Meredith's, like, flipping out. Everyone else, again, doesn't care at all. <laughs> Meredith, it's just going to happen again. Okay, here's something interesting, though. I just scrolled down to what Dylan said. The way I see it, it doesn't matter how you got here. Mm-hmm. You're either in this or you're not. There's no in-between. And Cowboy here can get pissed off because for all his tough talk, he's no different than Bonnie. He's stuck. And Meredith goes, and you're not. No. And then... um. And then Danny Duquette says, 
Oh, please. Oh, please. Love it. Yay. <laughs> Denny's I, our new favorite. And, and well, yeah. And then Dylan goes, I had a good life. I helped when I could. And when that shell went off in my hands, I completed my task. I saved you. It's like, then why are you here, Dylan? Mm-hmm. Which I think is kind of cool. Like, I like how, again, it's really obvious, you know, like, obviously Bonnie is not dealing with death well. Um, <laughs> As she, like, seizes on the floor from blood, blood loss. Um, you know, Denny Fawn admits, you know, he's like, I'm here because I can feel Izzy here. Yeah. And I like how we never get a real answer of, like, why Dylan's stuck, you know, mm-hmm. or why... I mean, we kind of, yeah, you know what I mean? Like, I kind of like that it's not fully explained. I th- it's up for interpretation. You know, it's not just like, you know, Dylan's not just like, oh, yes, I am here because, and you're like, mm-hmm. no, it's, that's why he's there. It's because he can't, he can't see that he is. He's literally Meredith if she's stuck there for like a couple yeah. months. Well, and I think that's what uh, Shonda said originally when Dylan was part of the um, show was Chosen. that it was never, no, no, when Dylan a lot of people oh. asked her, um, were Dylan and Meredith ever going to be a thing? And she goes, I think they were too similar. I think she said that once. Huh. And if she didn't say that, then I'm saying it right okay. now. Well, Quote me. Shonda or Emily? So, like a real man, Derek unloads all of his personal <laughs> shit on a dementia patient. Uh, but um. I do... Uh, this speech is actually very needed for the audience to make the connections later so if you want to read this yeah so Derek goes you broke her you called her ordinary you taught her time and time again that nothing she does is ever good enough every good thing that Meredith is happened despite you she may not survive this that's on you that is on you Mm -hmm. I have a question he's not wrong I have a question for you do you think in some weird dementia, Alzheimer's state, that Ellis somehow grasped this. Like, this, in some ways, causes the later moment in this episode. I think you can interpret it like that. I think in the moment, Ellis Gray looked into Derek's eyes and didn't know what the fuck yeah, he was talking saw about. Nothing. But I think perhaps she remembered the words and then when she got to the afterlife and all of her other memories came back then she you know what i mean used those words and yes I, and i i like to think that in some way like it did get through to her because again the last thing that ellis really remembers is her calling meredith ordinary she didn't have that recollection of you know meredith coming in and yelling at her and theoretically Derek coming in and yelling at her but i was like somewhere in her mind, she had to have grasped that for her to say that to Meredith at the end. She does remember when Meredith yelled at her. It was at, it was the later scene when she goes, maybe you and I can have another chance that she doesn't remember. The last thing she remembers is Meredith yelling at her. Like, you, you happened to me? Yeah, that, she does remember okay. that. But this, in the script that we have here, it says, Derek walks away, and you can see a moment of realization on Ellis's face. I don't agree with that interpretation. I think her face said, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. I don't think her her face showed any mm-hmm. recollection of what was happening. But I also like it's it's this weird thing because again I'm like so why did then did she flatline it? Like I I don't know. I want this thing to be where like in some weird way this Ellis grasped what she did to Meredith, realized somewhere that like in some ways like she had to die for Meredith to come back. Like you know what I mean? Like I don't know. I don't think that Ellis re- realized that she had to die for Meredith to come back. I think 
that was one of those things that Meredith was talking about in the beginning where medical miracles happen, just not always when we want them to. And in this case, they did happen when we needed it to. Ellis did happen to die at the same time, which in turn Mm -hmm. was the reason why Meredith came back. Because I don't think if Ellis died and saw her daughter, I don't think Meredith would have come back. Mm -hmm. Addison is the one that witnesses this, which of course, like they couldn't have picked a better person to come to Derek's kind of like... Aid. Yeah, in this scene. I also love that Addison is the one that Derek chose to unleash this, like, that give mm-hmm. this kind of detail, too. Because, well, and, well, I mean, like, one, you have to think, obviously, like, Derek trusts Addison a lot. They were married, yeah. you know? And so, like, and in some ways, besides Meredith, I think Addison is his best friend. Like, who else does he talk to in it's the hospital? It's not Mark right now. You know? Yeah. And so, but then you also have this thing of, like, Addison, you know, theoretically again should she like meredith should she not like meredith has this whole thing like i don't i I like the choice of having him reveal you know oh i love this moment with i love that i mean half of the reason if i'm a writer sitting in this in the writing room like at my laptop hell yes i'm having this between Derek and addison i mean you couldn't ask for a better dramatic uh Mm -hmm. pairing for a scene like this because He's literally breaking down. He's crying at this point. And she, he says, she was pulling away from me and I just... And then the moment hit Addison and she's like, holy shit. Because she yeah. th- she says, you think she went in the water on purpose? And Derek goes, she knows how to swim. She's a good swimmer. Oh, damn. So Derek has figured out, or at least he thinks he's figured out, that mm-hmm. Meredith gave up. Well, I think... You have to also remember, too, the beginning of 3.15, and how he freaked out with Meredith in the bathtub. You, mm-hmm. you have to, like, that has to be in the back of his mind. Oh, yeah. For sure. You know? This scene is confirmation it is. Uh-huh. Okay, so we're back in the afterlife, and Meredith is in an OR looking for some stuff to save Bonnie. I also unquote. love the fact that, like, not only did they just have the outline of the hospital, but, like, all of the tools are there, too. Yes, like, just... she's just like, I need a scalpel. And you're like why in the afterlife do you need a scalpel and meredith's just like don't worry about it i need it and i love i love when meredith goes if i could just find the source which i i i feel like it has to be a double meaning oh yeah the source of her pain of her suffering of every and then denny goes she can't be saved this isn't fair i could save her if you just gave me a chance i could save her Mm-hmm. And it's like, that's kind of the effing point, Meredith, is that it's not fair, you know? Mm-hmm. What happened in the water? I swam. I fought. No, you didn't. And you can't stay here, Meredith. I don't want to. Yeah, you do. It's easier, but you can't. Because George's dad died. Because Izzy lost me. And Christina, when she was nine, she was in a car accident with her father. And he bled out right in front of her while they waited for an ambulance to arrive. And Alex? Stop. They are barely breathing. This will break them. None of them deserves that. And this, this is the big one. So you pay attention. Do you know what kind of miracle it is that Derek is who he is? Do you know how rare it is that someone like that even exists? He's still an optimist. He believes in true love and magic and soulmates. He's waiting for you. And if you don't come back from this, you will change who he is. And then... The way that Ellen Pompeo just starts kind of breaking up and just goes, oh, God. And sobbing, yeah. That moment broke me. Yeah. That, that for me, is the moment. I don't know. She just portrays that so well of, like, someone who's just in denial and, like, Denny's just almost, like, beating this into her and basically like, just being, like, 
look and she's just that real when when he goes this is the big one so pay attention i was like holy shit i know this season is so jam-packed with so many great moments that we might pass over this but at the end of this season this could be on my best speeches yeah because it i mean it's phenomenal that was so well written he still believes in true love and magic and soulmates yeah mm-hmm. and the painful irony of listening to if you don't come back you will change who he is listening to that line in 2021 it hits harder than it did in 2006 anyway Ellis starts flatlining. Yeah, and so they again, you know, Ellis is flatlining. They have this quick little scene where, you know, they're talking about doing all this other stuff, you know, and they're like, I just love Paige Burke, and then just cuts over (laughs) again to Christina doing some, and I quote, quality Sudoku. (laughs) Joe's bar. Um, And then Burke comes in. And I, I, I really like this scene. We haven't had a lot of Christina Burke moments I mean, we haven't had any in this episode yet, but I just, I love this like little like thing of, you know, him almost being the one, I mean, obviously like being the one to get through to her, but like, I don't know. I also just like the, like, you were there when I needed it, you and you know, her realization and I don't know. Her realization of saying after I knew you were going to make it. Okay. I'm not proud. I just, I can't, I can't go back there and watch. And I, I love what he responds back. Yeah. Listen to me. This is about you and the woman you call your person. And you do know the science here. And if she dies and you are sitting here when that happens, I can't see you coming back from that. Come and say goodbye to your friend. I love this. And I love in this moment him, like, fully appreciating what Meredith is to Christina. Mm -hmm. And I also like it especially because, like... Take notes, Callie. Well, they had these moments and i can't remember if it was the beginning of the, if it was 315 what episode it was in it was where 16. he you know obviously like he was kind of getting mad at her because she, they weren't telling anyone until she mm-hmm. found meredith and i think there was like a point earlier where he didn't really get this relationship mm-hmm. and he's like what and so like for me like this was a huge kind of like full circle thing for burke to be like I know what this person means to you. Mm-hmm. And I know that I know how much of a tragedy this would be. And I think he also realizes that in some sense, if Christina doesn't do that, and if she doesn't do that, I think he will lose Christina as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that's because true. I think, I think everyone would lose Christina if, you know, yeah. Um, okay. Now, finally, and I can't tell you how satisfying this was as an audience member to watch Meredith finally talk about it. Because, I, also, I mean, it's just so Meredith to avoid her yeah. problems. <laughs> I also really liked the choice where, like, obviously throughout her whole afterlife, she's with, you know, the four of them. But I liked the decision where this was just with Denny. Mm-hmm. And that they're sitting on the floor. I love that. Mm-hmm. I find that so... Because I also just mm-hmm. love that, like, Denny just gets Meredith, I think, a little bit. Better. Even though they didn't really have that much time. They have more than all the other people, though. yeah. I, I don't know. It's I I love it. And they both love Izzy. You know, they have that shared connection. Well, and I think connection. it's supposed to be, like, this whole thing where, like, Denny's love for Izzy is kind of similar, like, Meredith and Derek or Meredith and Christina. Mm-hmm. Like, I think it, that's some of it, too, whereas, like... It's almost like Denny's love for Izzy has made Meredith a sister-in-law to him. That's almost what it feels like. Well, and I think the point, at least Denny is trying to make, is 
you know, I think so many of them, if they had the choice in some way that she has to go back for someone they loved, you know, if mm-hmm. he had the choice to go back for Izzy, he's like, I would take it in a heartbeat. Mm-hmm. And I think it's almost like it. she needed him to, you have the choice to go back to these people that you love. Mm-hmm. So this is, in a way, this episode is really a dialogue about suicide. Yeah, which is... Brave. Hugely brave. To go there, but yeah. I also think it's a really... I don't... I don't know. It speaks to me. It does, It's not... Suicide is one of those things where, like, a lot of... You know, obviously there are, are shows that do it and try it. Some of them successfully, some not. Mm-hmm. Um, Maybe too on the nose a lot of times. Yeah, and I don't... I don't, I like the way that this show deals with not only, a lot, I mean, obviously we get a huge amount of the emotions from Meredith, but it, they also do a really good job of getting a lot of the emotions of all the people around her. And I think they also, I mean, obviously like later this season and into season four, I think they did a good job of showing Meredith moving on from this mm-hmm. and growing from this. And they also didn't sweep it under the rug i mean meredith takes a long time to get over this yeah which and in a weird way she, it well not in a weird way but in a lot of ways it, she never does get over it she just l- grows from learns it. to live with it kind yeah. of you know yeah um um so i want to do this should i be meredith okay i'll be meredith i was swimming i was fighting and then i thought just for a second i thought what's the point and then i let go I stopped fighting. Don't tell anybody. Okay. I love how when she says don't tell anybody, that's like, you can tell she feels shame. Yeah. It was, she did it very much in the sense, like, almost like a little kid, like, don't, yeah. don't tell anyone. Hmm. And I, I liked it. But... And then Denny s- stops suddenly and starts smiling and Meredith goes, what? Is he? You can see her? No. Sometimes we'll be in the same place at exactly the same time, and I can almost hear her voice. It's like I'm touching her. I like to believe she knows I'm there. That's what you get. That's it. Moments with the people you love. And they'll move on, and you'll want them to move on. But still, Meredith, that's all you get. Moments. Is this really happening? I don't know. This is your afterlife, not mine. She looks up and Denny's gone, which honestly creeped the fuck out of me the first time I watched it. And then suddenly there's water creeping in around her. Mm -hmm. That's so creepy imagery. So is this insinuating that they all have to relive their deaths? Because if Dylan just blew up every time from time to time, I would straight up pay money to this show. I think it's like you were saying earlier that in some sense of like almost them getting to that same emotion... Mm-hmm. of when they, like, that they were going through when they died. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Well, I also wonder, because, like, this happened after Meredith had that realization of, like, what happened when her death, and, like, if that's why it happened, and I don't, I don't know. There are so many answers about this limbo, like, so many questions that I have that I want the answers to, but I also understand, I'm like, okay, like, I get why they didn't give us all the answers, but I want the answers. And that's the whole thing, is that the reason they didn't give us all the answers is because we're sitting here you know, 15 years later and we're still talking about it. Yeah. And that's kind of the point. If they gave us too many of the answers, it wouldn't be as intriguing. I know. So now we have a, uh, well, let's not skim over this too much. I love that we almost have this closure 
for the Denny Izzy relationship. Because if you're thinking about this, you know, it's been like half a year since Denny died for the audience members, you know, and that was still a very tragic death for the audience of Grey's Anatomy. And in a weird way, this episode does give us a lot of closure. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's heartbreaking, but it is, it's better than nothing. Yeah, that's fair. Ugh, it really the the ending scene oh. breaks my heart every time. Every time, um, yeah, yeah. So then we go back to the real world, and we get this scene between Izzy and George, which is <sighs> unpacked. And basically, George confronts Izzy. Yeah, and let me just say, when George says she didn't say anything, but how? But why? Why would you pick now to throw down? And the fact that he used that word choice is breathing life into my cold, dead soul to throw down. Also, can we also talk, like, he acts like she just also suddenly started being a bitch to Kelly in this episode. Honey, this has been happening for a while. I mean, you remember the whole, everyone loves tiny diamonds. Like, I could never forget. You know, like, he, like, in the grand scheme of things that Izzy has said to Callie, was this episode really the worst? No. <laughs> and, but he's like, this was you throwing down, and we're all like, why did you choose now to throw down? No, I think this was just like round twenty of this yeah, fight. Exactly. And ding ding. <laughs> and besides the line, I can sometimes go a little overboard. I think this is the second most Izzy Steven lines of Izzy Stevens line of all time, which is, "I can't lie about how I feel," mm-hmm. which is the quintessential character trait of Izzy Stevens. I also love. George's response. Yes, me too. And he goes, actually, you can. You can. People lie all the time. They hold their tongues and they wait. You should hold your tongue because if I'm not making a mistake, you're going to look like a jerk. And if I am, I'm going to need you. I need you and you keep taking that away. Yeah. Which one? Unpack that. Which one? I have a, like a question. If you are 100% sure of your marriage, would you ever say, like, Mm -mm. if I am making a mistake? Like, I don't think anyone would ever. I think, one, I think the speech shows that Derek, not Derek, George is questioning his relationship a little bit. Mm -hmm. We all are, George. But also, I just love that, like, people lie all the time. They hold their tongues. And then, like, I don't know. Like, in some ways, is that being, like, George, like, is he lying about how he feels to cat? Like, there's so much other meaning about into that. Yeah, I know. And I just, I, again, the thing that always draws me to this George-Izzy relationship, and I think some of the tragedy of their relationship is that they will never be a, in my opinion, now the show would love for you to believe something else in season five, but in my opinion, they'll never be completely happy with somebody else because Mm -hmm. they love each other too much. But I also think in some ways, because of a lot of the stuff that's happened, I don't know if they're ever going to be happy together. I know. And that's the tragedy. Yeah. Is that I don't, I don't know if they'd ever be happy together romantically, but I think that there's no, whoever they ended up with would always feel kind of like in second place. Mm-hmm. And there's the tragedy of it. Yeah. It's also a tragedy because in some ways this part really signifies the end of their friendship kind of as we knew it. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously it's had a kind of different vibe for a little bit, Yeah, but that difference vibe really continues on yeah. after this. And just the way that T.R. Knight says the line, I need you, 
and you keep taking that away. Mm-hmm. I was just like, damn. Mm-hmm. Yeah, My so- little uh, George and Izzy heart was beating. So fast. Um, so now we get this quick little scene in Alice's room where, you know, Derek's trying to save her. Um, and Tyler reveals that, you know, Dr. Burke is doing something on Meredith. And, you know, Derek's kind of like, okay, like, I'm going to work on Alice. Whatever. Mm -hmm. So now Meredith is finally focusing. And it's almost too late. Mm -hmm. And she goes, I don't want to be here. I want to go back. Bonnie, we were told there wasn't a lot of time. I'm out of time? Liz. Well, we're not sure, baby. And I can't do this. Oh, God, I can. I want... I had intimacy issues. Denny. Yeah. Do you know how stupid that sounds now? Yeah, I do. It's not enough. It's not enough, which... That line, season two, episode one. Just a whiff of Derek. I don't know how she said that without breaking. Or Christina. But, yeah, or Christina. I need to go back. Please. I can't. I can't. And then Derek is uh, doing CPR on Mm -hmm. Ellis, which it's like, what's the symbolism here I'm missing? Because there's got to be something of Derek being the knight in shining armor to Ellis and failing. Mm -hmm. And Ellis, Derek is the chief and Ellis is Meredith. And there's like that weird dynamic there. Yeah, or even like in some symbolisms of like the chief being able to save Derek's person. Mm Mm-hmm. But Derek not being able to see save the chief, like you know mm-hmm. that kind of thing. I also almost wonder if it's like Derek saving Ellis just enough for her to have that last moment with Meredith. You know, like mm-hmm. if I don't know, I don't know. Um, so then you know we cut back. Basically, the ending is a lot of these different scenes between the real life rooms of Ellis and Meredith, and then mm-hmm. the afterlife. Yeah. Um. So we have you know quick scene. They're talking about Meredith, where they're like she's warm and dead. It's like, oh, cool. That's the update. (laughs) I'm glad we've gotten that far in this episode. And the song Sleep Don't Weep by Damien Rice starts playing. Mm. Makes me wonder how long this episode takes place over. Could it be like 20 minutes? I don't know. I feel like it could be. It feels forever. You know, the Chief and Bailey are going back and forth. You know, they're trying to save her. They're shocking her. You know, Bailey, you cannot give up. And then all of a sudden, Christina enters. I did kind of like, you got enough here where you can tell, like, because we've had two interns that entered Meredith's room. We had Izzy, and then we had Christina. And they're very, very different mm-hmm. in how they enter. And I kind of like that difference of, like, Izzy being freaked out, shocked, like... Mm-hmm. And then Christina just very, almost eerily, like, calm Yeah, enters. And it's just, like, I just, like, it's had this, like, understanding of, like, I just, I need to be here. Mm-hmm. I don't know. And then we get the commercial cut to... to- and all commercials, which is Meredith is like hyperventilating mm-hmm. and Bonnie's like, yeah, whatever. And then she looks up and she sees Ellis Gray walking in the limbo hospital and she just goes, mom. And the now, way Ellen Pompeo says that, I mean, it's the simplest mom. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then, okay. So now, now we're coming up to quite possibly my favorite of scenes like this, this little compilation like sequence, of the sequence of scenes is quite possibly my favorite moments in all of Grey's Anatomy. Mm-hmm. Well, it means the most to you. Mm-hmm. But I mean, just how they did this. I mean, you know, and again, we're quickly going back and forth now, pretty much only between. No, we're still, you know, still, you know, Meredith's room, Ellis's room, afterlife. Mm-hmm. We have this really great moment 
where it's Christina, you know, being like, try again, Mm -hmm. getting them to go again. And I love that it is the fact, like, that Christina is the one who, quote unquote, somehow brings Meredith Mm -hmm. back to life. Yeah. You know? I, I love all the fairy tale imagery and obviously the fact that they mention knight and shining whatever in the beginning of this episode. She goes, you are not my knight and shining whatever. And Derek carries her out of the harbor in that, that night, like of. in that pose, kind of like a knight in shining armor. But the twist is, and it's so very Grey's Anatomy. The twist is, is that when Christina comes to Meredith's hospital room and Meredith is placed into that sleeping beauty role, Christina touches her feet. And it's that true love Mm -hmm. that actually makes Meredith wake up again. Mm -hmm. In conclusion, Christina and Meredith OTP. Mm -hmm. I was about to say, you know, it's like, I mean, and and the whole pack, I mean, Derek was in that room for so much in the beginning, but it's literally like Christina finally coming in and touching her feet. That's like, she's back. It's like true love's touch basically it's like her soul mate kind of yeah her soulmate. yeah so again we get a couple like little flickering back and forth you know ellis is still in v-fib and then we get it's three lines three pieces of dialogue you shouldn't be here neither should you just keep going don't be a damn and then they hug and then ellis starts to get emotional and she goes you you are anything but ordinary, Meredith. And then she goes, now run. Run. <laughs> we all just need to take a second to... Holy crap. Sim- simplest of lines. You know, they could have had them have this whole moment. Mm-hmm. She said the simplest thing. You are anything but ordinary, Meredith. And it has the weight of the world. Yeah. I know. And it's because they've literally been building this up since season one. That line since season one and to the uh very nice person out there that uh emailed us what Grey's Anatomy tattoo Becca has uh on her body do you want to take this it is you are anything but ordinary it doesn't have Becca that would be kind of weird <laughs> and it's in a speech bubble and Ellis Gray's face no it's it. not <laughs> <laughs> yeah I just have Ellis Gray completely tattooed on my entire back yeah it's just <laughs> Yeah, her entire head is on the back of Becca's back, and the speech bubble is really tiny up on her shoulder, and it says, you're anything but ordinary. Oh, God. But in all seriousness, it's just the quote. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Meredith runs into the light, which I find interesting that she goes to the light to go back to life. Yeah. I love that. I was like, nice. Nice touch. Yeah. When Um, in reality, Ellen Pompeo probably just slammed into that lamp. Like body slams it. <laughs> They're like, all right, cut. Good job, Ellen. She's like on the ground, <laughs> like. Ugh. So then we have like some other quick, like you know, obviously like things like Derek's still trying to save Ellis, thing, mm-hmm. thing, and then all of a sudden it comes back to Mary's room, and the monitor beeps, and they're like, "Holy shit!" And then Bailey just goes, "We have a heartbeat," and like, the relief that like not only everyone in that room, like, let out, but, like, that I let out the as, audience. A, as a, like, yeah. a person. Even though I knew it was going to, like, even this time, which was, you know, like, however many times I've seen it now, I still had the, like, <sighs> like, mm-hmm. you know? Ugh. And Amazing. then, you know, a little later, Christina's still sitting with her, and Addison, um, 
Christina's still in, like, the exact same position, yeah. and you're like, has it been hours? Like, and, and Addison, I love how she cares about, like, the her first thought is Derek, which yeah. is, again, I love how they are kind of still each other's best friend mm-hmm. in a weird way. Yeah. And I love what Bailey goes, and she goes, I wanted, I'm giving her more time. Mm-hmm. And I love, like, even, well, even Bailey realizes that, like, they need to be, like, they needed that moment. Well, yes, but I also think that's Bailey's way of saying, like, she might not be Pull out same. of it. Well, I think... I was, she might be brain dead. Um, and then, uh, <laughs> honestly, another great moment of this, when, like, you know... Meredith is just kind of, like, groaning. <laughs> and Christina's like, did you say something? And you're like, that was not even close to words. And but, Meredith okay. is like... <laughs> Um, I also, I lo- I just, I love how Sandra O oh does this. Mm-hmm. She does it so well, but the, like, your brain works, mm-hmm. okay? So all you need to do is form a word, please. <laughs> Ouch. Mm-hmm. It's like, wow. I mean, if you're writing this, what word do you have Meredith say first? I'm, really? Derek? No. Yeah, you're not gonna have her say Derek. You're not gonna have her say Christina. I do kind of like the ouch, though. Because, yeah. like, again, it's kind of funny, but it's also this super sweet, like, oh my god, mm-hmm. she's there. And then Christina just word vomits. I'm getting married to Burke! <laughs> like, not that that should be anywhere on your list of thoughts right now. But just in case you slip in the hall later, you were the one person I wanted to tell. Oh, Thank you for not dying. And... Her little, like, smile back is so sweet. Like, this is, like, true love. I was about to say, literally, like, if you did not leave this episode being like, huh, should Meredith and Christina get together? <laughs> like, forget Derek. No, I'm kidding. But, like, it's so sweet. And then they have that, like, moment where they show, like, outside and George and Izzy are standing there and Alec comes up and they're all like, yeah! Like, mm-hmm. they're all so excited and it's, it's so cute. Like, ugh. And then we get the scene that we've all been waiting for. Oh, my God. Patrick Dempsey, he kills this. And they... Like, when she wakes up, his facial expression, like, a cup. Whenever he, like, earlier this season said, like, you were, like, coming up for fresh air. Like, that was the emotion that I read from Mm -hmm. his face when he saw her wake up. It was like, oh, I can breathe again. Like, it was perfect. And And this scene... Mm. I could watch it over and over and over again, and I will always love the choice that Ellen Pompeo makes when in, in this dialogue. This is one of those dialogues that it's different on paper than listening yeah. to it. Because Derek goes, Meredith, and she goes, my mother's dead, isn't she? And Derek goes, yes. Like, he's surprised that she could guess she that. She knows, yeah. And Meredith goes, it's okay. I think. I think it's okay. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh my god. Well, just the way she says that. Yeah. Like, you could write an essay about that mm-hmm. alone. I also like how the choice that they had to not have this massive reunion moment between yes. Derek and Mary. Like, it was just very simple. And literally, like, his moment with her is her basically realizing that her mother is dead. Like, I like how almost the sweet reunion was with her and Christina. Yeah, I think I think that was a good choice. Well, I think it also shows that, like... It shows that Meredith has grown a lot, I guess. Maybe. But I also think it it's almost foreshadowing the sense that, like, their relationship isn't, like, you know, she, he wasn't the knight that swooped in and was, like, you know, mm-hmm. all this stuff. Like, it was Christina. And, like, I think it's almost, like, to me, foreshadowing the kind of rift that's going to come up and Perhaps. the problems that they might have. I don't know. Although that scene in itself seemed, I read that as very genuine. I oh, didn't, yeah. I didn't read that as, like, 
Derek was upset with her. Or no, like no, that. no. I was saying I think it's almost like the telling that they chose to like do it like that. Maybe, yeah. I don't know. And then, of course, once Grey's Anatomy starts piling, they don't stop until the credits roll because from here to the end will break you. If one scene doesn't, the next one will. Mm-hmm. So then we, we have, have this one. But... Ad- no, this one. Then we have Addison standing outside of Meredith and Derek. I mean, this is the holy grail of a Meredith and Derek scene. Addison is standing outside looking wistfully at Meredith and Derek. And Mark shows up and she goes, we never had that. He never felt that way about me. And I was like, damn. Like in 11 years of marriage and she's standing outside watching him love somebody more than she than he ever loved her. It also, to me, just brought back a flashback of the Bond episode where Adele yes. goes, that's not the she that he was referring to or whatever he was whatever. asking he was for. Asking yeah. for. Yeah. Um, and just the fact that Addison can say that out loud is just, it's gut-wrenching. Yeah. Um, and then Mark says, I did, which I'm calling bullshit on, because if I don't think Mark could ever touch the Meredith and Derek love. Mm-hmm. But he believes it, so whatever. So then basically they, you know, Addison challenges him to go 60 days without sex, no other women. Yeah. And then they'll be together or whatever. Which... Right off the bat is a red flag. <laughs> Just the fact that you have to do that. You're like, if, is that the expectation for this relationship? I have questions. Yeah, and it's just like, the, ladies and gentlemen, don't ever start a relationship like that. Mm-hmm. Just that doesn't seem like a, a good uh, foundation mm-hmm. for a healthy relationship. Uh, but yeah. I also just love the choice that, like, at the end, you know, Mark is like, oh, Addison, like, if I'm not having sex, neither are you. And then the choice for Addison to go, who would I possibly be having sex with? And then the scene immediately turns (laughs) to Alex Alex and Jane Doe. Because you know everyone in the audience said, Alex. And then it turned to (laughs) Alex, yeah. And and it's like the writers are like, hmm, I wonder. (laughs) I can't even focus on this dialogue because she's so ugly, but... You know, Alex is actually being super sweet, which is... I know, which is kind of weird. It's enduring. I like... I don't know. I like sweet Alex. I do, too, but I also don't want it to to stick around for too long. I know. Well, I like how it's also, like, in his kind of, like, quirky way, where he's like, we learned so much about you. Like, we learned that your blood type is be positive, and you're like, okay, Alex, it's kind of weird, but thanks. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I do I do appreciate the line, now I know more about you than some of my closest friends, and Jane Doe goes, that's pathetic. <laughs> and the, the audience is like, yes. Yes, but actually he's telling you the truth. That was not a joke. I don't know. I also really kind of liked the little moment where he was like, and your baby is a girl, and she was like, really? A girl? Like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. It was kind that of was a cute, cute like, yeah. moment. Like, a sweet... Is that my stomach? It wasn't mine. <laughs> oh my god. So now we have oh, this freaking scene with Sydney, who thinks she did God's work today by literally <laughs> yes. doing nothing. Yes. She did nothing all day. Even Alex took over that one job with I the Polaroid liter- camera. L- literally, like, she was required to, like, talk to the patient families, and she did. She got them, like, juice. Like, and mm-hmm. she's like... All right, Bailey, like, you might be in conversation with the chief resident. Why are you in competition for it, Sydney? You have done nothing. (laughs) Except heal with love. (laughs) And we're going to win that fight. Um, But 
she's almost acting like Bailey was like, yeah, I saved Meredith primarily to get in good with the chief. It's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> anyway, it's always great to see Sydney. Love her. I love her, but it's just so funny. She's like, we, we did such a great job today, Bailey. And I'm like, and Bailey's like, go eat a grenade. Bailey's like, I literally spent four hours trying to save Meredith Gray while you walked around telling them that we had, you, they, you had no updates for them. I spent somewhere between 20 minutes and four hours saving Meredith Gray. <laughs> And you literally walked around going, we have no new information for you. And then even the new information you got, Alex had to give them. Yes, exactly. Because, you, whatever. The intern did. <laughs> whatever. So in the in the intern locker room, uh, Izzy walks up to George and she goes, I let you down. And I get it if you don't trust me right now, but please, George. It's me. It's us. Please. And George walks away. Yeah. If you removed all bias, which I know is impossible, what do you think you would feel about Izzy right now? I'm... Well, I love her to death. I am a little upset with her. Because I had, in some way, kind of, I think, hoped a person like her would be able to take... The high road. The high road. Mm-hmm. I also think I'm slightly upset with the fact that, like, she didn't apologize to George in this scene. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I don't know. But I also kind of appreciate a story about the tragedy of somebody who feels things so strongly. That they can't. Yeah. They can't not say them out loud. Yeah. It's hard. It's, it's hard to get, obviously the last scene completely changes my mind about Izzy Mm because by the end of this episode, I'm like, okay. But honestly, like seeing this, like and being at this point in this episode, it's hard to like Izzy right now. It's hard to like Izzy on the surface, but when if you were to look at her as a victim of her own personality, it you can read it as a tragedy. And if you read it as a tragedy, or of somebody who cannot help herself mm-hmm. and keeps making the wrong decisions, then it becomes, how can you not love Izzy? But I think a lot of people read it on the surface, and the surface is just how she's acting. And if you go just based off how she's acting, and you don't kind of think of what it feels like to live in Izzy's skin, then yes, I can see how people would be very upset with her and be like, you're kind of a bitch. Like, take the high road. I don't know. Like, I also think even just seeing it as the tragedy and appreciating it, like, I can still be like, God, why is... Like, I don't know. Like... I think in some ways, like, because I love her so much and she does these things and I'm like, ugh, why? Like, you know, like, you just want her to, I don't want to say be better, but like, you know what I mean? Like, it's this horrible tragedy where it's like, we want her to like, be able to do all this stuff and be this person, but she's not. And it's, I don't know. But I, I mean, there's also an argument to be said that like, if she didn't, if the events of this episode never took place, the events of the next episode couldn't. Fair. I and agree. that is a ball of twine we will untie later. Yes. <laughs> once, once we know the episode. That, that so ends. the song Swans by Uncle Bob starts playing, and it is beautiful. They picked, yet again, another perfect song to end this episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, this The Chief Ellis scene murdered me. Yeah. Again, I'm telling you, every scene from when Derek and Meredith saw each other to the end, they they keep trying to break you. Mm-hmm. And they did multiple times. Mm-hmm. 
So I think it's the chief just talking to an empty bed because I don't think Ellis's body is there, right? It's just the bed. I think it's just the bed. Um, and the chief goes, you've been gone a long time. I know you think you died when the Alzheimer's started. I know it's a relief to you. I know. But it doesn't feel like a relief to me. I'm not relieved. I miss the sound of your voice. I miss talking to you. I miss you. And then he goes, I dyed my hair for the ladies. I like bringing that back. Yeah, I'm glad that they did a full circle on that. It's kind of like the conditioner in the bomb episode. Mm-hmm. I love I love that he recognizes that she, Ellis Gray, died when the Alzheimer's started. But also, put yourself in the chief's shoes. You just spent so much emotional and physical time saving Meredith. Basically your daughter. Yeah, yeah, basically your daughter and the love of your life's daughter, only to leave that room to get the news that she died while you were saving her. Yeah. Like... Heartbreaking. Oh my god. Mm-hmm. And then we get a short little moment of Meredith and Derek lying in bed together. And I think for a half second, I really thought that that's how they were going to end the episode, was like the two of them being happy, and then they just went above and destroyed me even further. Yeah. Take note, Derek is not asleep in that scene. I had to note it. Like, I had to watch it a couple times, but Meredith is sleeping and he's not. Mm-hmm. And then the scene that if you are not broken by this, I think you're a war criminal. Because I don't know how you could not be. Recently on Twitter, they, they had a, a a little trend going on, which was, uh, what's one screenshot from a TV show that breaks you? And this is the one I used. Because of all... I honestly think that this holds more emotional weight than literally Izzy lying in his hospital bed when he died. In my opinion. Mm -hmm. So Izzy is walking out of the hospital and she pauses suddenly. And she kind of like closes her eyes a little bit. And the way the camera work here spins around her, like around the front of her. And then when the when it continues spinning, suddenly Denny's there on mm-hmm. the other side of her. And he does that same thing that he did when he was talking to Meredith. He just goes, Izzy. Like, obviously, he's in the same place mm-hmm. in the afterworld. And mm. you, it's so up for interpretation. Because you could say Izzy felt him. But at the same time, Catherine Hagel doesn't necessarily play it like that. I don't know. I think she did. And, like, I don't know. I just... The the smile and then, like... I mean, Denny's smiling. Like, he knows that, like, yeah, I'm... I'm Like, I'm near Izzy right now. This is one of those moments. But the smile that Katherine Heigl has is kind of like a... And then she frowns again and walks out. Like, it's almost like, oh, that... Denny just popped in my head for some reason. Mm -hmm. I really miss him. All right, well, I'm gonna leave now. It's not like she's just like, ooh, I can feel him next to me, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. That's honestly, that might be the best moment of this whole episode, in my opinion. No. I think it is, but I know that you don't. But I disagree. All right, can you read this? Sure. So we've got some little blurb from the Grey Matter blog, and it says, But you know, Denny and Izzy at the end, Shonda's, Shonda's been talking about this since she pitched me the episode. It was heartbreaking then in my office with bad lighting. So it's on, so on its feet, it's awesome. For me, what emerged were the love stories, not just between Derek and Meredith, but between Christina and Meredith. That essential friendship. Christina walking out with something that was hotly debated here. Apparently that's not good doctoring, but it felt right. If not now, when? 
Christ- Meredith is Christina's person, and Richard and Ellis, that love coming to a definitive end. There's a lot of grief in all this, but there's also great hope. It's the lesson from the other place, too. We are who we love. Interesting. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so the closing speeches at the end of the at the end of a day like this, a day when so many prayers are answered and so many aren't, we take our miracles where we can find them. We reach across the gap and sometimes, against all odds, against all logic, we touch. Mm. Oh my god. Seriously count as zero. But oh please count, thank god, Dar- Danny. One. One. And you know oh please is like rolling in her grave. <laughs> She's not dead. <laughs> No, you know that we don't, but... She's rolling in her NICU. <laughs> She's like, how dare you? She can feel it from the afterlife. <laughs> like, she she was next to Denny. She's like, oh, please. Anyway. That's why he said it. She's passing at the same time. Yes, two ships passing in the night. Oh um, so, patient rankings for all three parts. So, get ready, folks. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so my number six was the businessman because... Who was he? He was the guy that pushed Meredith off the dock. Oh, him? Remember the Spider-Man businessman that, like, (laughs) scaled a wall? Ugh, the worst. (laughs) You literally put that, and I was like, who the hell is this guy? (laughs) It's been a year, guys. Uh, Number four, I have Ellis Gray. Five, I have Ellis Gray. Same. Um, Just because she was a patient for about three seconds. And then she died. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Number four, I have uh, Carly and Chris Height. Uh, who weren't even mentioned in this episode, but were important to George and Callie in and kind of the other two. Because mm. well, Izzy didn't do anything with well, Carly it, or Chris. It, whatever. And, yeah. Um. So my number four is Jane Doe. I don't know. She annoys me. That's why I put Carly and Chris ahead of her. So you have Carly and Chris for three. Yeah. Well, I also I don't know. I like what that whole thing did for George. I liked that little storyline mm-hmm. and that comparison. I have Jane Doe for three. Um, She's the worst. Yeah, I mean, I don't think you're that far off in saying that. Uh, Jane Doe, interesting enough in this episode, but... (laughs) Plot twist gets worse. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Anyway, so number two, we both have Rick. Of course. Who was uh, the guy that Izzy worked on. I also love that he kind of, like, came into the hospital, and then as soon as Meredith was, like, dying, they were like, forget him. Yeah, We don't even know if he lived or not. Yeah, we never find out. But I like that choice. Yeah. Uh, And I love that Izzy had her, finally had her her full circle moment. We know that in episode 18, she will be back fully reinstated, and that's wonderful. Yeah. And number one is Meredith. I was about to say. How could you? Literally the one, the only patient we really had this episode. Mm-hmm. It had to be Meredith. It was Meredith. Make one change. Fuck you. It's not possible. The only one is if you argued the whole liver cancer versus pancreatic cancer thing. Yeah, true. but we're calling theory on that one, so no make yes. one changes. Uh, no make one changes. Um, I did want to talk about what we thought. Now, what was the note that we said in the beginning of the episode? Oh, is this in Meredith's head or not? I vote no. I vote this is like a limbo. This is a real thing. I vote no as well. And I think that you could have said this is all in Meredith's head until that last scene. And I would argue that's why they put that last scene in there. Because Meredith is nowhere near those two characters. We know she's in bed with Derek, mm-hmm. asleep, when that last scene happened. And again, the audience has privy to 
both sides yeah. of the the ethereal plane and the real in the limbo or whatever and no ethereal plane is the limbo it's material oh material and ethereal and so i i think that that was almost its way of saying like yeah like it was like that wink you know i was gonna say it's like the whole episode you know the the writers i think are relieving it a lot up to interpretation and that last scene was them being like but this is how we think it is. Mm-hmm. It's like cricket. It's like, uh, no, there's no such thing as psychics. It's all just medicine, medicine, and, and you know, tricks of the light. And then w- and then the audience sees Izzy call her mom, and she goes, it's me, cricket. And I'm like, oh, my God. I want to yeah. throw myself through a wall when that happens. Ugh. That seems a little extreme. Okay. So next week, put that in quotes. Next time. <laughs> next time on Grey's Anatomy Uncut, we're talking about... Season 3, episode 18, Scars and Souvenirs, written by Deborah Kahn and directed by James Frawley. Sure. Uh, I think he's new. We're great with names, guys. Yeah. To get in touch with us, you can on Twitter. The account for the podcast is at Grey's Uncut. For me, it's at Hazard underscore Emily. And for Becca, it's at Anderson underscore Becca. Uh, for longer questions or comments, please send them to our Gmail, which is Uncut at gmail.com. We will respond to you, so yeah, send them in. Uh, we have a website also. It's called Uncut.home.blog, and you can find every episode there. And please leave a rating and a review on iTunes. That would be wonderful. <sighs> All right, guys. You know, we never try to make promises, but we might be back. We'll see Mm-hmm. I'll never make a promise. Yeah, we might be back. Because I could die today. Okay. And on that note. <laughs> Bye. Bye.